Well, we're in a series right now called Rejoicing in What Matters, What Matters. And uh, in that series, we're in week four of that. Uh, So if you would, would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one, as we work our way through that. If you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there, I believe it's page 921, 921. I'd actually like for us to begin, we're going to be in verses 12 through 18 today, and I'd like for us to begin actually at the very opening words of the letter of Philippians. Uh, I think they have some pretty important uh, establishing for where we're going today. Uh, The opening words are this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Those words, servants of Christ Jesus, um, in the original language, it's doulos Christos Jesus, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus are uh, that because uh, there was one who purchased them from slavery. Actually, they were slaves to sin, But then because of the work of Christ and receiving Christ's work in their place, they have now become servants of Christ. Ones who were once slaves to sin are now able to be devoted servants of Christ Jesus. And Paul's not referring to some servanting prosperity He's not talking about some uh, servanting that results in all of your circumstances being made calm and wonderful and all people thinking highly of you. Coming to Christ and serving Christ doesn't mean there's a check in the mail for 100K. Uh, It's going to be there this afternoon. Um, In fact, uh, maybe there is. I don't know. But uh, that's not what this kind of servanting is about. Um, In fact, Paul, as we're going to see here in verses 12 through 18, talks about actually a servanting that includes, well, when circumstances bite and when people, or in the context of it, it's when believers bite. We're going to take a look at that here in a little bit, but I think there's a valid question to be asking here even before getting in this. Is Paul the guy to talk about this? Is Paul the actual guy to have the experience to talk about when circumstances bite and when people bite? I mean, I want to just say that this is God's word, uh, uh, the spirit of God working through to write down what God would have. And that should be enough for us. And that is enough for us to read it. But there is an aspect when we get into the subject of what we're getting in today, there's just this natural thing in us. It's kind of like, does he really have the creds to speak about this? Well, good question. Um, I would might answer it this way. Maybe before he came to Christ, he doesn't really have the creds to speak much about it. But after he came to Christ, he's got the creds. What am I talking about? Well, before Christ, uh, before becoming a a doulos of Christos Jesus, uh, Paul, he even talks about it in Philippians 3. You can gander over there about verse 4 and following in there. He tells us about how he had confidence in the flesh. This is before he comes to Christ. And, and he tells in that some things like this. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, 
Uh, The tribe of Benjamin of the 12 tribes was one of the most prominent uh, tribes uh, of those tribes. And Paul was a purebred Benjamite. Uh, His his mom wasn't Benjamite, and then his dad, one of the other tribes, they were purebred Benjamites. And so in that, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, he's a member of uh, God's people by birth. He's a Hebrew, but he lived Hebrew orthodoxy uh, in language and in other aspects of his life. He lived as a Hebrew of Hebrews. He wasn't just a Hebrew. Uh, He goes on and he says, as to the law of Pharisee. Now, uh, the word Pharisee there really carries this idea that as he's speaking to the people at the time, he lived to the highest level of devout Judaism. He wasn't just a Judaite. He was supremely so at the highest level. Uh, Then he goes on, as to zeal, by the way, which in the day was the supreme religious virtue of the day, of being zealous, And so he says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. In other words, he was a leader of Judaism to where he held to it and any, uh, what he viewed as heresy coming into it, he shut it down. He was a committed uh, uh, Judaite. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. He was not only a Jew, he was a model Jew living out every aspect of the Jewish law. Oh, and because of that, that's why he says, I had every reason to put confidence in the flesh. I would say this, before Paul came to know Christ, he had a pretty good life. It was pretty comfy cozy. And then he came to Christ and it changed. So he is on this zealous mission to crush uh, out followers of Christ and the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ puts him face down on a gravel road on his mission to tramp out Christ. And Christ puts him down, uh, ultimately uh, the hater persecutor of everything associated with Jesus becomes a doulos Christos Jesus. He becomes a servant of Christ. Well, everything had to get even more rosy after that, right? Well, let me tell you a few things. A few years later, we find him proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the Jewish population in Damascus. And what happens? Well, some try to kill him. It's starting off well, huh? So he flees by night in a basket, lowered over a city wall. I would not say first class ticket out. (laughs) Oh, then he goes to Iconium, and again he's forced to flee. Then he goes to Lystra, he's pelted with rocks and left for dead. Then he goes to Philippi, he ends up beaten, thrown in jail. He goes to Thessalonica, he's forced to flee, as he also is in Berea. He goes to Athens, he's mocked and ridiculed by all the Greek philosophers. In Corinth, he's hauled before the Roman proconsul as a villain. In Ephesus, he's savagely beaten by a mob. I'd laugh at that because he's saved from being beaten to death by the Roman soldiers who were coming to arrest him. He's saved from being beaten to death by the guys who are coming to arrest him. It's like bad on top of bad. And then you add Caesarea, prison for two years because of a bunch of legal riffraff. 
He's taken captive. He's put in chains uh, to a Roman soldier. And from there, he writes as a servant of Christ Jesus. By the way, you could go in and take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It talks about, it adds to his experiences where he says he experienced countless beatings. He was shipwrecked three times. He was in danger from robbers, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness. He was in danger uh, from his own people. He was in danger from false brothers and he was bearing the weight of the church every day. Does the apostle Paul have their own personal creds to write about when circumstances bite and when people, including believers, bite? The answer to that is, oh yeah. And by the way, today is not about stacking who has the hardest life. Oh, I, I'm just out on that. The fact of the matter is, is all of us know what tragedy is. All of us know what hurt is. I can even tell you just even by looking around in the room, there are some tragic, hard, heavy situations going on right now within our own church body with people and their lives and their circumstances. And there's something really special about the fact that not only that the Spirit of God has had these words that we're about to read penned down, but they're penned through a guy who knows tragedy. As a doulos Christos Jesus. And he knows what it is. He knows what it is to live it. So let's hear him talk about it. And let's get at it. When circumstances bite, first paragraph, verses 12 through 14 in the original is actually one sentence. So I'm going to kind of read it that way. He's writing back to the servants of Christ Jesus in Philippi. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know, sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial garden to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hmm. I already noted it. We've all been through rough circumstances. We know what they are. Maybe it's some years ago, decades ago. Maybe it's some within the last year. Maybe some of it is right now on your table. And the hurt continues. What do you do with it? Maybe it has to do with life choices you've made. Maybe it has to do with physical health or mental health or relationship tragedy or financial ruin or lost dreams or family division. Maybe it has to do with self-disappointment, personal regrets. And you wonder why. Why? Like, what good is this doing? Like, where is God in this whole thing? Where is the good? Oh, and then there's the platitude answer that it'll all work out in the end. I'm just going to say that helps for like 1% to 5% of it. It is true. But in the moment, can we agree? That doesn't necessarily help in the moment. 
Paul is in prison. And these believers in Christ and Philippi, they're concerned about him. By the way, he is the one who brought the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And now they're seeing the guy who brought the good news of Jesus Christ in jail. And they had to be wondering, what, what does this mean for me? I mean, they're concerned for him, but they're also just concerned about how, what does this say about their own lives in it all? I had to make wonder, where's God in all this? I mean, if I were God, I, oh, that's when we get in trouble, by the way. But let's be straight about it. You and I play that all the time in our head. Let's, let's work through what he says with that on the table. Paul replies, I want you to know. That, that's significant. It's not I want you to feel something or I want you to wonder something or I want you to have a willy-nilly hope about something. I want you to cognitively have some factual understanding. I want you to know something and he's writing, I want you to know brothers. I want you to know sisters. Those who have been redeemed in Christ, who uh, were slaves to sin, and now are uh, devoted servants of Christ. I want you to know something. I, I want you to know the, what has happened to me. Again, put under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, taken out of in-person daily ministry. Hey, listen, friends, his life has been turned upside down and he's now doing not what he wants to be doing. He can't do what he loves. And this is the apostle Paul. This is the guy that God called in commission to take the good news to the Gentiles. And it's like, God, do you have a brain? Do you not see what you are doing? The very guy that you called in commission to go to the Gentiles, you benched. You put the coach player on the bench. Like, that makes no sense, God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I read that and I'm so ashamed. Because isn't it true we get caught in our own little lives? You know, I'm in my own little corner in my own little room. <laughs> I don't think I've ever sung up here before. And I don't think, what are you going to do, fire me? You know, uh, <laughs> that was not in my notes. <laughs> it has really served to advance the gospel. That's a different place to look at what's going on in your life. That's a step out moment. Uh, it has served the gospel. Well, well, how? So that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. <laughs> what a Star Wars statement, right? And by the way, it kind of carries that idea with it. It's the elite, the influential, the powerful protectors of the Roman Empire that reaches all the way into Caesar's household. Paul has been benched by God. 
And in his situation, by God's grace, he has enough, let me call it spirituality, to step out of his own little sad scenario and be able to come to understand, are you kidding me? The whole imperial guard reaching all the way up into Caesar's household is hearing about Christ because my can is in the can. See, I would still be whining and moaning. But what about me? So the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Oh, and to all the rest. I think he's referencing not only that imperial guard line of elite and powerful that goes all the way up into Caesar's household, but everybody else associated with it. And Paul's having this mind blow, but he doesn't end there because he says, oh, uh, what is it? And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. That is the thing. The Lord is using Paul's situation by putting him in prison that people are coming to understand. He's put in prison because of Christ? Like, why would anyone do that? What's with that? What's that about? What is this Christ thing that makes it so worthwhile to do that? What's the problem with that? And all the conversations that are going, the, the fame of the name of Christ is being spread along. Oh, and on top of that, and most of the brothers, most of the sisters, having become more confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So many things we could say from that. In other words, I think it's that even believers in Christ who are watching this, and again, I think we have such a hard time understanding this scenario. Listen, Christ being proclaimed to these places is in its newish phase of reality. They don't have the New Testament and everything. And they're assessing what's going on and, and Paul being imprisoned by this. And they're like, whoa, apparently... Apparently, I don't have to dread my circumstances quite as much as I thought as a follower of Christ. Paul's imprisonment, that bites. Seriously. I just want to note this. Nowhere in the text does Paul say, you know, this imprisonment thing, I'm loving this. You know, it's awesome. I get to play, you know, Game Boy and I get to like, none of that. He doesn't say anything about his circumstances are wonderful. I think he's being real. Hey friends, his circumstances stink. But a doulos Christos Jesus thinks as a servant of Christ Jesus of what now is happening as a result of this. When circumstances bite and Christ is proclaimed, that's what we're talking about here because that's what Paul is talking about here. Serious question and I'm going to make this comment again here in just a moment. I am not in a guilt mood here. I am not, I'm just, personally, I'm just not at that place to do that. Personally, we're all just worn out from life. That's not my point here. This would be an easy point to be the preacher that guilts everybody. That's not my objective today. I want us to see and have hope. 
And in that, a serious question. What matters most? Really, what matters most? I mean, really, what matters most? Is it your circumstances? Is it my circumstances? Or is what matters most that Christ is proclaimed? Man, don't answer that one too quickly. I mean, I picture Paul here as he writes, he looks around at his own circumstances, and I think he understands he's been unfairly treated. He's put under house arrest. He's chained to this blasted Roman guard. He's removed from those he's, he loves, and he's benched from what he loves doing by God. And that's hard, and that bites. And then in it, it's like he steps outside of it, and he considers it from a doulos Christos Jesus. What might God be doing? I'm a servant of God, and I have a sovereign God over all things. And I think in this, he begins to see that Christ is being proclaimed in areas and in ways that could never happen if he was out on the streets. And God is doing a work in a way that could never take place. The gospel is being proclaimed in amazing places and permeating in eternal ways that never would have happened on his own strength. Hey, friends, this is not putting a happy face on a really bad situation. That's not what we're talking about here. We are not talking about fake it till you make it. We're not talking about that here. Paul isn't talking about that here. Instead, there is something that matters now. And Paul opening the letter as a servant of Christ Jesus, that comes into it. And that actually overtakes it. And Christ proclaimed proclaim becomes the gauging point of what matters, is it? As I said, it would be really easy for me here to go into this guilt call and just pile on guilt for how we bite. It would really just be able to easy here, seriously, to take this and go, you know what, we're all just a bunch of self-centered losers. I don't want to do that. So what do we do? I suggest Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Let me read it to you. Jesus says this. Come to me. All who labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And he's about to define what that rest is. Take my yoke upon you, that's weight, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Friends, we don't need rest from our circumstances. We need rest for our soul. Maybe you're in a place that's really hard. 
and you've just been bearing a weight. And it's just made no sense to you what's gone on. And you're broken. And you're hurting. And Jesus has come. Come. Martha, stop being so busy. Just sit down and come. Allow me to work this out with you. I want to give you rest for your soul. When circumstances bite, and then when believers bite, this will be much shorter part of it. We've kind of laid the groundwork. Um, Let me read beginning in verse 15. He goes on into this next section, which I'm actually going to say, I think oftentimes becomes more hurtful than the first. Some, he says, indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Wow, that's messed up. I would understand these some actually to likely be believers. I want to think the best about it. They're proclaiming Christ, and and yet there's a heart problem that's going on. There's envy, there's rivalry. Those words carry the idea of ill will or jealousy or spite, as though there's like a contest in ministry. And by the way, don't just think it's people like me with other people like me in this role, because I'm telling you, after 20 years as a lay person sitting in, in your seat, it happens in your seat as well. Who has the best ABF or best small group? Or who's the most this or who's the awesomest children's teacher? Or uh, I've seen it. It's like a battle for self-attention, self-renown, for establishing self above another, and it brings strife. Hey, friends, when you lust for your way or your renown, it's time to run. Run. If they just understood what I knew, if they just did it the way I I know it should be done, careful, careful. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. In other words, from delight in Christ Jesus and for Christ Jesus but others from goodwill, the latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. By the way, he knows he's a part of this. Understand, in that day, he was the one going around proclaiming the gospel. And isn't it just something how how bent we are that even people who are coming to Christ begin seeing like a rivalry, and I want the attention. It needs to be about me, me first, me, 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 me. And Paul knows that even some of that has to do with him and that there's this competition that's happening. The the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And then these next two words, these are the important words. What then? In other words, so how am I supposed to think about that? Well, there's actually a number of ways you could think about that. Like one, you could think about that like being ticked off. Like sending a letter to rebuke them all. We could go on, right? What then? How should we think about this? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And look at these last words, and in that I rejoice. That's the thing. He God's people, sometimes we have a way, just even the capital C church, of eating our own. They don't do that right, and they don't do that right, and we don't do this right. I get it. None of us do it right. We don't. We're all broken. There's a lot of churches on the west side of Indianapolis that love Jesus and proclaim him. Some of them I wouldn't attend as a family because of some things. Hey, what then? They're proclaiming Christ then. That's the thing. How about that front and center in our eyes? That Christ is proclaimed. When believers bite and Christ is complained, proclaimed, that's the thing. And Paul is in a place where he could easily go complaining about how his own circumstances bite, or he could easily be in a place where he writes this letter where he talks about his life. Oh, my word, let me tell you about Billy Bob and Sally Sue and all those two-name people. Um, But in that, he's not. He's mentioning it, and he's helping them to understand, okay, this is going on. But listen, God's people, when Christ's name is being proclaimed, that's what we rejoice in. It's about the increasing fame of the name of Christos Jesus. That's what it's about. Black and white, in pen, exclamation point. That's it. We rejoice in that. What if? What if the primary purpose of our sovereign God was to orchestrate our days and our circumstances and our relationships for the purpose of increasing the fame of the name of Jesus Christ? What if that was what it was about? In us and in others. What if our sovereign God, his primary purpose was to orchestrate our days and our circumstances and our relationships for the increasing fame of the name of Jesus Christ in us and out of us? Yeah, but Doug, no, would we rejoice in that? Would that be the thing that we rejoice in? I mean, what if failing health or bankruptcy or lost dreams or lost securities meant Christ increasingly proclaimed? Would you rejoice in that? And again, I, please, please understand my heart. I am so not trying to guilt us today. I'm trying to get us to think and ask the question and lean into our own tender souls. Because there's a pile of hurt in this room. 
because there's a pile of people in this room. What if unfair assessments made of you at school, at work, at home, at church, at wherever, unloving accusations made about you or spiteful attacks to defame your name? What if you were put in chains? What if you were martyred for being a doulos Christos Jesus? Frankly, I don't think it's far off. In the hurt and in the struggle, if Christ is being proclaimed, could we rejoice in that? I'm telling you, that's a hard one to answer. There's a wrestling and a tension in our own hearts on all of that. So let me finish with this. Let me read some passages to you, I hope, to spur us on and to give us hope and encouragement. I have nine of them. If you're taking notes, write them down. If if not, you can... Grab these online uh, later. Let me begin. I'm going to start in the beginning of the book and go to the end. Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph speaks to his brothers who sold him into slavery. Can we all say family dysfunction? They sold him into slavery. For real. Okay, I think he was a bit of a brat. All his younger brothers are but don't deserve that. And then years later, years later, he says to his brothers face to face, as for you, you meant evil against me. They did. They absolutely did. But God meant it for good. Oh, there's the tension between our decisions and God's sovereignty. I love this kind of stuff. You meant evil against me, and they did. And yet in it, God meant it for good to bring about that many should be kept alive as they are today. And please, do not put away all of the years of pain that Joseph went through getting to that kind of a point. Don't think Joseph is skipping into slavery and skipping back into jail after doing what's right before the Lord, before Potter's wife. Job chapter 2, verse 10. After Job is devastated, after his wife is devastated, after his wife says, just curse God and die. I get her. Bless her heart. And then he says, shall we receive good from God and not trouble? Wow. That's a mind blow. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, who formed you, he says this. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. That's cool. I've called you by name. You are mine. That's cool. Now listen. When you pass through the waters, not if, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, not if, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, not if, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, for my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, comment on that in just a second, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, God's got bigger thoughts. Okay, let's think about this. As far as the heavens are from the earth, let's say the heavens are the stars. All right, the, the sun is the closest star to us and is 93 million miles away from us. God's saying, you know what, my mind is 93 million miles beyond yours. Oh, if that's maybe too close, then the next set of stars, Alpha Centura, some 25 trillion miles away from us. And God's like, you think you're so smart? I just want for, you know, my brain is 25 trillion times bigger. That's what's happening here. And then we have this way, we just want to go toe-to-toe with God. Yeah, I'm 25 trillion times bigger. My daddy's 25 trillion times bigger than yours. I got to finish. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, nor the produce of the olive fail, nor the fields yield no food, or the flock be cut off from the fold, that there be no herds in the stall. By the way, that is utter, utter devastation for an agricultural world. And then he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. By the way, it will work out. But even in it, Rejoice, not in the fun of it, not in the pain of it, but in the fact that God is going to do something from it. 2 Corinthians 1.9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Can you imagine that? You're at that point of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. From a conference we were at this last week, I made some comments on that. God loves to do resurrecting work in all of our lives. 2 Corinthians 1, 9, indeed, I'm sorry, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It will work out. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If you know Christ is your savior, That is your guarantee. And that is a hope to hold on to. And lastly, I'm just going to make reference to verse 18 in Philippians 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. I was... uh, putting the side screen slides together for this. And as I got through it and I worked through this whole text, there's something that bothered me about them. And it's the fonts. The the fonts, I mean, they're beautiful and all that, but there's something about the fonts that actually have a representation that's a bit backwards. You see, it's kind of like 
when our circumstances bite, that becomes the bold part of our life. And when people bite, that becomes the bold part of our life. And then, oh yeah, that's right, Christ proclaimed. No, I want to reverse that. Let's get the font right. So let's reverse the first one. Um, I want for you to know this. When circumstances bite, they don't go away. It's not invisible. They're still there. And they hurt and they bite. It's not ignoring them. It's not putting them away. It's not shoving them out of our lives. It's hard. But the bold thing needs to be the fact Christ proclaimed, right? Christ at work in my life and others' life through it. Oh, I just wonder, what is God doing through Kim's situation? There's so many others here. And we got to get the last one right. Let's flip that. It looks like that. Man, when people bite, and especially believers in Christ bite, It hurts. A lot. In fact, I'm even going to say more so than the former. But that's not the bold thing. Christ proclaimed is. And so, God, we come and we ask for help. Lord, you know of areas in life, this is an area we all wrestle with. We're frail, we're we're weak, we so often get confused. We, We do wrestle with our own selfishness. We wrestle with the hurt and the pain, and it's real. What an example here for us to hear of Paul's story and hear even hear him thinking and writing and talking out loud that, no, there's something that we need to know. That even when the circumstances are biting and people or other believers are biting, oh God, help us to do that step back and to consider What are you doing this in me? What are you doing in us? What are you doing in others? Because if we are truly doulos Christos Jesus, servants of Christ Jesus, that's what matters. And the fame of your name is what matters. And yet, you know that we struggle with that. So we come. We ask for your help. I pray that you would bring comfort to our souls, knowing that we can trust you and we can trust your ways. Help us, I pray in Christ's name, amen.